Hello everyone, welcome again to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. Literally the best podcast the world has ever seen. Plus or minus. Glad to have you all here. This is another excellent episode. We're going to do another deep dive with, not excuse me, we're going to do another Emmaus teaching. Uh, Road to Emmaus, man, just so good. These are some of my favorites, favorites, favorites. I just love, love, love. To, just scripturally speaking, I love to see how that Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament and see all these parallels that always just sets my heart on fire. I mean, that's what the uh, the people there, uh, those two people on Emmaus that Jesus spoke with, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened up to us scripture. Uh, I mean, I, that is my experience. I guarantee you that. That's why I do this. Um, especially after Easter here, you know, a lot of people receive uh, the sacraments, a lot of people... Uh, getting baptized, confirmation, and and uh, this is giving us an extra opportunity to to reflect on that. What were those gifts that all of us have received in baptism, and perhaps confirmation, and Eucharist, and all these different things? And what does that mean for us in our lives? So we got all these different layers: Old Testament, New Testament, and Jesus, uh, liturgy, sacrament, baptism, etc. And then my life. What am I supposed to do? Where am I going? What's my aim? What's my purpose? How do I live it here? <clears throat> so I just love, love this stuff. Today, um, we're going to follow up from last time when we talked about the priesthood. Now we're talking about our role as a prophet, Jesus' role as a prophet, prophets in the Old Testament, all these things, how all these things come together. Um, this is what we're aiming at. I don't, I, I would not, I almost said, I don't consider myself to be a prophet. But as I said that, I was saying, you know what? I think I actually do. I like to teach. I wish I had more opportunities to teach. It is just kind of, and, and I, you know, I think I teach more than I realize. I, I teach when I proclaim the word. I, I'm a prophet as I proclaim the word. I sit down and talk with people, and I, that is a prophetic dimension to it. I think also, you know, there's three roles of my ministerial priesthood. Governing, it follows the priest, prophet, and king. Uh, king, my kingly role as a priest is to govern, kind of organize and coordinate and direct the the boat forward, if you will. Priest, prophet, and the prophecy is kind of the the teaching element, and then the and the priest part is the sanctifying element, the prayer and the sacrament. Um, but this teaching part is my favorite, and I would even say this teaching even forms how I govern. It even forms how I govern because it, it this this prophetic sense allows me to see the world, sees the errors of the world, sees the pitfalls of the world, sees how futile it is, but also helps me to know how to adapt not just the word to that, but helps me to know how the organism of a parish church needs to be shaped in order to fill the void, fill the void of our current world. So anyways, that's I see myself as a prophet. I try to embrace what that means in all these different dimensions. So, that's me. That's how we do it. Uh, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, what an honor it is to have prophets in our lives. Our, our parents have been prophets to us. Teachers have been prophets to us. Um, scripture, all the, the the writers of scripture have been prophets to us. The saints have been prophets to us. Wow, just Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our priests, the deacons, uh, friends, my goodness, we have 
profits everywhere. And it's so easy to ignore them. It's easy to kind of put them to the side. <clears throat> and Lord, help us to have an open heart to recognize that prophetic role in others so that we may grow, that they may encourage us and build us up. Help us to receive that prophetic role in our own lives so that we can build others up, that we can pursue your grace and your goodness and your love, and not just in how we live our lives, but to share that with the lives of others. Uh, open our hearts and minds at this time. Uh, open my lips. May your word be fulfilled here in my speaking and in the people's hearing. Alleluia. Praise God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Very good. Let's start off with a definition like last time. Last time I defined priest kind of based on a scriptural quote. Um, not the same scriptural quote that I'm aware of about prophecy that kind of gives us an ordering of it. But uh, Joseph Ratzinger, before he became Pope Benedict, he, he's got a nice little thing that he says. He says the prophet is someone who tells the truth on the strength of his relationship with God. That's just a great quote, I think. What the heck is a prophet? A prophet is someone who tells the truth on the strength of his relationship with God. You know, there's kind of two big pieces of it. it. speaks the truth. God is love. God is good. God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his children, etc., etc., etc. You know, sometimes the prophet probably has to proclaim a, a word of judgment to some people. You know, it's maybe not like John the Baptist. Maybe so. I don't know. But to say, hey, your ways are erring here. Turn around, please. Please turn around. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to leave behind your sin. It's destroying your soul and ruining the lives of people around you. You know, that's, that's something that a prophet has to say. You know, a parent might have to say that. Uh, a priest might have to say that. Uh, a teacher might have to say that. You never know. You never know. So that's the first part. A prophet is someone who tells the truth. The second part is where that source of that truth-telling comes from. It's not coming from my own mind, not coming from my own heart, because my mind, my heart, they're fallen, they're weak. And if I don't rely on God, it's going to be judgmentalism. It's going to be insulting. I'm going to burn bridges. I've been there. You know, I've, I've hurt people through what I've said. I, I deeply am sorry. And there's, it hurts, and there's just no going backwards. And just no way to put it. It hurts. So it's not someone who tells the truth based on their own thoughts and opinions and timing, but it's on the strength of his relationship with God. That is the source of this truth telling that I know God. God speaks to me, maybe not with words, but in the depths of my heart, he whispers to me. He speaks to me. He communicates himself to me. And I can discern the timing of saying something, the, the way to say it. The, the spirit in which I am to say it, to whom I should say it, all these different things. So let's get into the Old Testament here. Uh, I'm really going to focus on Moses. I'm really going to focus on Moses. Why? Because he's the best. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, we hear a little description of Moses here. Since then, since the time of Moses, since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials, and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. You know what's really cool about this is that 
he, he, here it's essentially saying Moses was the best prophet ever. But then why is he the best prophet ever? There's two things that it points to. The first is that the Lord knew Moses face to face face-to-face. There's this face-to-face relationship. Remember when we were talking about prophecy, we're talking about someone who's speaking the truth based on his own relationship with God, the strength of his relationship with God. Moses had a face to face. It was the strongest of relationship with God. And then the second part of what made Moses such a great prophet was that he did all these signs and wonders. My gosh, there's nothing, nothing that can compare. We think of Elisha and Elisha. You know, those guys did crazy awesome signs and wonders, but they didn't part an entire sea. They parted a river. No, that was that was uh, Joshua, excuse me, I got mixed up. Uh, it's just incredible. They turned a, Moses turned a river into blood. Uh, the angel of death came. You know, his all these different amazing things. Uh, in the desert, the manna, the quail, just absolutely absurdly amazing all these signs and wonders and it was all based on this relationship this face-to-face relationship with the lord this face-to-face with relationship with the lord it began in exodus chapter 3 the burning bush there god spoke to him it wasn't quite a face-to-face encounter there um that's kind of how deuteronomy described it and i guess that's maybe a little bit of a an exaggeration to highlight his intimacy with god uh, in Exodus 3, there's the burning bush, kind of a miraculous thing. There's the voice of God. Uh, Exodus 33, I think, is even more profound. Uh, I love it very much. And it also has a very profound uh, revelation that's associated with it. So we're going to look this up here and read it. Very good. So this is what's going on here. There is, oh, where does it have it here? Just a minute here. Hmm. So Moses entered the tent and he, well, I guess this is where it says, I got my, my verses mixed up here. Verse 11. Well, I guess we'll start with 10 here. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the door of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship every man at his own tent door. That's to say, kind of a way, but Moses went inside. He went inside. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, a man, as a man speaks to his friend. As a man speaks to his friend. That is super, super cool. There's also that time when Moses went up the mountain and he asked to see God face to face. And God said, nope, but you can see my backside. It's kind of a strange thing. So that's what happened. Uh, Moses went up the mountain, and yeah, up on the mountain there, he was revealed. God passed through. He ordered Moses to cover his his eyes, and in doing so, uh, as he passed, he then gave permission for Moses to open his eyes, but only to look at the backside. Only to look upon the backside of, of God. Kind of, it's just strange, isn't it? <laughs> but um, but this is what's going on. This is what's going on. And yeah, I guess this is the same chapter. This is what I was looking at earlier. Uh, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on those who 
whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by which you will stand upon the rock. My glory will pass. There you will see me. And so on. So that's what God did. Now, one of the fruits of this was the covenant. The covenant happened there. Uh, the covenant was revealed to God up on that mountain at that same event. Uh, when Moses descended from the mountain, this is the crazy thing. The two tables, tablets of the law of God were in his hand, um, and Moses came down. He did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And when Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them, but they're like, no way, sir, no way, Jose. And so Moses, at the end of the chapter 34 there, Moses, it says Moses would put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak with him. So his encounter, that relationship he had with God, that face-to-face, even though it maybe was not literally face-to-face, but that intimacy that he had with God changed his life so much that his teaching was so profound, his, his understanding of who God was, was, was fortified in his proclamation of the law of God. And it showed, it just showed uh, he it showed in his face, literally in his face. So that's kind of cool, and it that's that's Moses. He is the best. He is just the best. So I've kind of walked, oh, waned about that a little bit, and not waxed so much about that. It's kind of going on a little bit, but this is a really significant thing. The next, the only one who could really compete with with Moses is John the Baptist, and the reason why I would say that he can compete with this is because, well, in the words of Jesus. John the Baptist seems to be the best. <laughs> There's been no one greater of anyone born of, of woman than John the Baptist. But even those who are in the, the least of those in the kingdom of God will be greater than him. So John the Baptist, sometimes there are people who consider that John the Baptist um, was freed from original sin in his womb when he encountered Jesus and jumped for joy, and that during his lifetime, he never committed a sin. That's not something that the tradition with a capital T teaches, but it is a pious tradition that people may believe in, but we don't know. So there's John the Baptist. Now think of John the Baptist. He's kind of this crazy guy out in the wilderness. And at the natural level, we think of maybe like Islamic prophets or or Hindu prophets like Gandhi or, or Buddha. You know, Buddha was kind of a prophet of sorts. And you know, they all kind of have these parallels of just being kind of crazy, absurd, radical guys out in the wilderness, shoeless, disheveled hair. They speak in strange ways. You know, there's a natural element of being a prophet that kind of corresponds with that. And and John the Baptist lives in that, that tradition. Um, and some of the other prophets do as well. <laughs> but not always, not always. It's Each one's got a kind of its own character to it. But, but I don't want to ignore that either. There's a natural element of just a prophet being a crazy guy. A radical guy is maybe a better way to say it. Radical in his teaching, but also radical. And I would say radical in his teaching in the sense of radically new. Otherwise, just being radical doesn't make anyone a particular prophet. It just makes them a loudmouth. But something radically new, that's a prophet. And then also radical in their lifestyle. 
to embrace poverty, chastity, obedience. That is the radicality that is found in Christian prophecy. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, but this is what Jesus gives us. He calls us all to poverty, chastity, and obedience in accordance with our state of life, which might change from season to season. You know, parents who got kids at home, they're going to have to make sure they get a raise at work so they can put food on the table. But once those kids are grown, you know, does dad or grandpa really need to hunt down the next raise? No, no, it's not, not the same. So that sense of poverty is, is adjusts in those different phases of life. Chastity. You know, I'm called to chastity. You're called to chastity. If you're married, your chastity is going to look different than mine. Obedience, same thing. Our obedience is going to look different. I took a promise of obedience to the bishop, and you have taken a promise of obedience to the church to believe in your obedience is directed directly to God. And you know, maybe a pastor can give some direction, but he does not have your obedience in that sense. So this is Jesus Christ. This is him. And there's just not another prophet like this. Now, the thing I want to highlight also after speaking of Moses is that there's an expectation. In Deuteronomy 18, there's this prophecy, this prediction. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. It is to him you shall listen. Moses is saying, hey, guess what? There's going to be someone else like me. And it is to him you shall listen. <clears throat> so his teaching will be profound. You know, this you shall listen to him is kind of repeated by God Almighty with Jesus Christ. Now we're going to move into the fulfillment in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament. The voice of God came upon Jesus twice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I guess the listen to him part was only once at the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. But you shall listen to him. Listen to him. That's an important thing. Jesus is the prophet. He is that prophet that was predicted. Jesus is the new Moses. We don't really think about Jesus as the new Moses very often. But let's think about it right now. Moses mediated between a covenant of God and the people. Jesus mediated this new covenant between God and the people. He mediated it in the blood of his flesh. Moses mediated this covenant through the blood of animals, of goats, of, of cows. Moses was a profound miracle worker. Profound. Jesus was also. You know, we don't have any mag grand and majestic works like Moses. But so many healings. So many healings. Multiplication of loaves. All these crazy amazing things. And they're not private. They're very public. G Moses spoke God to God face to face and had this intimacy with God. Jesus most certainly did from all eternity, being the son of, of the eternal father, receiving everything from the father and returning everything back to the father in this, this eternal exchange that was so real, so dynamic that it has a name, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that just awesome and cool and beautiful? So Jesus comes and he has this relationship with God face to face. Whoever sees me sees the Father, he says. That's pretty wild. So whoever sees me sees the Father, says Jesus. That means Jesus has been looking at the Father and the Father has made his imprint on his own face, just like the glory of God imprinted on Moses' face and had to have it veiled. So, but we don't have to have Jesus have a veil. His veil is his flesh, if you will. 
Whoever looks upon his flesh, on his face, can see the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He speaks to God face to face, and we see God when we see his face. That is so amazing. So amazing. The teaching of Moses was profound. The teaching of Jesus was with authority. Moses went up a mountain to bring down the law. Jesus went up the mountain. We think of the special Sermon on the Mount. He went on the mountain and he proclaimed a new law, the Beatitudes. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, love your enemies. Jesus is not just a prophet. He is the prophet. The, the people get a sense of this. And, and so there's different, now there's different moments when people recognize this. Uh, the woman at the well, she says, oh, he's truly a prophet. Or the man who was blind from birth when he re was revealed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, he says. Uh, and there's some different occasions, but it's very clear that people recognized him to be a prophet. Um, you know, at the road to Emmaus, this is an Emmaus teaching. They said, we thought that he was, he was a prophet, mighty in word, indeed. We were sure he was going to be the Messiah. So they were very convinced. They had, they were always very convinced, even after the death, that he was a prophet, but they began to doubt that he was the Messiah. So his prophecy was very strong and firm. Uh, his teaching was with authority. Uh, Peter, this is, so Jesus dies, goes, raises up to heaven, gives the Holy Spirit, and Peter now goes back to cite Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses was the chief <laughs> the chief prophet and he was saying there's someone's going to come after me so this is from acts of the apostles chapter three moses said the lord god will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people it's like well i don't remember that part in in deuteronomy but, but this is what happened with Jesus. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Yikes, that's a crazy thing. We need to be attentive to all prophets that are true, but especially Jesus Christ and his teaching. We are in a world these days, little soapbox here, that says Jesus is the only thing that matters. Everything Jesus, blah, blah, blah. This is kind of the... The cheesy Christianity that, that I find, at least in LaFleur County. Jesus is everything, everything in the name of Jesus. And they're generally very sincere about it, but I'll also have to say they're very dumb as they proclaim that because they can't make the connection that because Jesus is the most important, his words are also significantly important, wonderfully important, magnificently important. I cannot ignore them. No, there is a lot of people down here who proclaim the love of Jesus and his goodness in the holy name of Jesus and just don't listen to his words. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. You know, his words are important. They're worth fighting over. It's kind of crazy to say that, but in um, a fight that is discerning what is true, good, and beautiful, not, not a violent fight by any means. And hopefully it's a, a quote-unquote fight that leads us to deeper harmony as we pursue the truth together. So, Jesus is the prophet. He's the fulfillment of all prophecy. All true prophets get their truth from their, the strength of the relationship with Jesus himself, the true prophet. This hits us 
through the liturgical sacramental event of baptism. I've said this before. In our baptism, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, but we're made priest, prophet, and king. We're made priest, prophet, and king. We talked about priest last time. Now we're talking about prophet. This is really visibly seen in baptism. There's a little prayer that is done. It's called the, the Epitha prayer, which means to be opened. And this was, it comes from scripture. Be open, Jesus told a girl and her, what was that? I think it was her hearing was, was open and she could hear. Maybe it was her eyes, I don't remember. And in baptism, this is what the priest will do or the deacon. The celebrant will touch the ears and then the mouth of the child and he will pray, the Lord made the deaf hear and the dumb speak. May he soon touch your ears to receive his word and your mouth to proclaim his faith to the praise and glory of God the Father. Amen. So this highlights prophecy very clearly because we grow in relationship with God. That strength of our relationship with God is magnified as we listen to him. Listen to him. We have to tune ourselves into the prophet. We must listen to him. And so our ears must be open. That's what we pray for in the baptism of every every child. Not adults, but children. It loses its sense when they're already adults and have heard of, of the gospel. The Lord made the deaf hear and the dumb speak. May he soon touch your ears to receive his word and your mouth to proclaim his faith to the praise and glory of God the Father. Amen. You know, we don't have a relationship with God merely for ourselves. If you think that Jesus is only for you, you're wrong. Jesus is for you and for everyone else in the world. And he has called you to be a piece in the puzzle, not to be an independent little puzzle over there. No, you're a piece in the big puzzle. You have a role to play. And part of that is what we just prayed for. We pray, if you've been baptized as an infant, this is what we prayed, that God may touch your mouth to proclaim his faith to the praise and glory of God the Father. If you're not proclaiming his faith, well, you might not be living your baptismal <laughs> graces very well. You know, don't panic by any means, but just you know, say like, Lord, where were you calling me to, to proclaim your word? How can I hear this better so I can proclaim it better? Um, it's, it's, we grow and God speaks to us and we speak to others. God speaks to us, we speak to others. What we receive from God, we pass along to others. A false prophet might even say all the right words, but if they're, they're saying the right words without that strength of relationship with God, they're a false prophet. They're going to burn all these bridges. Like I was saying at the beginning, don't be that guy. Please do not be that guy. You'll just hurt people. You'll hurt yourself and it'll just be sad. So this is what we receive in baptism. And guess what? It's strengthened in confirmation. In the catechism, uh, not chapter, uh, paragraph 1303, we hear, uh, this is what's said. It's kind of a summary of all the graces of confirmation. So I'll just read through all of them. Some of them are going to be a little bit more relevant than others. From this fact, confirmation brings an increase and deepening of baptismal graces. Of baptismal grace, excuse me. It roots us more deeply in the divine filiation, which makes us cry, Abba, Father. It unites us more firmly to Christ. Both of those two things are strengthening our relationship with God, which is fundamental for a prophet. Thirdly, it increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. It renders our bond with the church more perfect. And 
Finally, and this is really important for us when we talk about prophecy, it gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly and never to be ashamed of the cross. Amen, amen, amen. I just love it. If you read through the Acts of the Apostles, those are prophets who are bold. The word boldness just jumps off at the page, off the page at you. It's so inspiring to read the Acts of the Apostles, especially after the after Easter here in the season of Easter. Read the Acts of the Apostles. So so dang good and inspiring. Love it, love it, love it. They are not shy. They're not afraid. They're bold. They're looking for opportunities to to confess the name of Christ, to to defend the faith, to spread it. You know, we got to be as wise as serpents. Oh, excuse me, wise. Yeah, what has it go? We have to be as innocent as doves and wise as serpents. We got to look for opportunities. It's not enough to be passive and wait for opportunities to come for us. We got to be strategic to find opportunities to spread the gospel. Uh, your priest ain't going to do it. Your priest might do something. Um, that'll be great. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, very good. But guess what? Remember when we talked about the priesthood? The priesthood, the ministerial priesthood, is ordered at the priesthood of believers, of the common, faithful, the average Joe and Jane. That's you, unless you're a priest or a bishop. You know, that's, that's unexpected if that was the case. But no, our priesthood is oriented towards you. That is super cool. And it is for you to complete your mission. The mission of the priest, my mission as a priest, is to support you in your baptismal responsibilities. Uh, I'm not the chief prophet around here. I'm prophet for sure. And there's some ways that I prophesy that are not what you would prophesy. I, you know, am responsible for assuring um, the church that a person is ready for baptism, uh, to support parents in their education of the faith, uh, to to proclaim the gospel at in liturgy. That's prophecy. But where prophecy really hits the ground is when you know someone who needs that, an encouragement, and you can proclaim the gospel to them. You are a prophet when you see someone in need and you're a good witness, you're a good example. You are a prophet when you share your story of how much God has supported and loved you and given you grace and helped you to triumph over sin and addiction and and weakness or shame or whatever it might be. Now, those are huge moments. Just telling your story. If every Christian, if every Catholic uh, shared their testimony once a week, holy cow, I guarantee you our church would double in five years. It would. There's just no doubt in my mind. There's just no doubt in my mind. And the church might even double in a lot less time than that. Depending, there's always a lot of other factors, aren't there? But Jesus is real. Jesus has touched your life. If he has not touched your life, beg him that he show you his love, that he prove to you his love. But if he has already done so, share that with other people. That you, God's calling you to be a prophet. Uh, you've received the grace of the baptism. We've prayed that you have your, your ears open to hear God's word, to hear his voice speak to your heart, and then to proclaim it, that your mouth be open to proclaim it. Uh, every Mass, what do we pray before the gospel? Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. And then we make a little sign of the cross over our forehead, lips, and heart as we say, May Lord be in my mind, on my lips, and on over my heart. Yeah, that's part of your prophetic reality. 
and receiving. You have to first receive in order to give. If you don't got it, you can't give it. You don't. You can't give what you don't have. There's just no way around it. Uh, let me conclude with this here. Uh, last time I concluded with John Paul II's document, Christa Fidelis Laici, and I'm going to do the same thing here. This is John Paul II addressing the, the purpose, the nature, the mission of the laity. And he says that in baptism, like we've been saying, we receive this role of being priest, prophet, and king through Jesus Christ. John Paul II says, Through the participation in the prophetic mission of Christ, who proclaimed the kingdom of his Father by the testimony of his life and by the power of his word, the lay faithful are given the ability and responsibility to accept the gospel in faith and to proclaim it in word and deed. So again, there's the idea of we receive in order to give. Without hesitating, he says, to courageously identify and denounce evil. Not just proclaim good, but to denounce evil. That's pretty wild. United to Christ, the great prophet, and in the spirit made witnesses of the risen Christ, the lay faithful are made sharers in the appreciation of the church's supernatural faith that cannot err in matters of belief, and sharers as well in the grace of the word. They are also called to allow the newness and the power of the gospel to shine out every day in their family and social life, as well as to express patiently and courageously in their contradictions of the present age their hope of glory, future glory, even through the framework of their secular life. Uh, the one word really jumped out to me, to shine. If you want to be a prophet, your job is to shine. Shine with what you say. Shine with what you do. Shine in your prayer. Shine in your in your communication with the Lord. Shine as you're a friend to other people. Be a fr Make a friend. Be a friend. Bring a friend to Christ. That's being a prophet. So thanks for tuning in. Be that prophet. I'll be a prophet. We'll all be prophets together. We'll be a, a nation of prophets for the glory of God. Amen. If this is helpful, share it with a friend. Leave a positive review somewhere. And... Talk to you later. May God bless you. Follow us on the Spirit of Amen. Hallelujah.